a couple of ushers tonight. I did notice something I put on y'all's. I got it right in my notes, but uh, the title, Dumber, should actually be D-U-M-B-E-R. And for some reason on y'all's, I put D-U-M-N-E-R. So anyway, anyway, Dumb and Dumber is the title of tonight. Dumb and Dumber, and you'll see why. Uh, tonight's passage will actually set the tone for all of Old Testament history. All of Old Testament history will be changed after the passage we look at tonight. So find chapter 12, 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 12. Dumb and dumber. And while they finish passing those out, I'm going to back off of this a little bit. What is it? Uh, write, write tonight's chapter down. One of, one of those chapters in the Old Testament you definitely want to remember because as I say, after tonight's passage, Old Testament history from here on out is forever changed. Okay? Let's read it together. 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? They answered him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded the advice that the older men gave him and consulted with the young men whom he had grown up, who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you should say to this people who spoke to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you must lighten it for us. Thus you should say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. 
Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'll discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had said, come to me again the third day. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had, had spoken by Ahijah the Shalonite to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. When all Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, the people answered the king, What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, O David. So Israel went away to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. When King Rehoboam uh, sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam then hurriedly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was no one who followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen troops to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to King Rehoboam of Judah, son of Solomon, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your kindred, the people of Israel. Let everyone go home, for this thing is from me. So they heeded the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. He went out from there and built Penuel. Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may well revert to the house of David. If this people continues to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will return again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel, the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one at Bethel and before the other as far as Dan. He also made houses on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not Levites. 
Jeroboam appointed a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, in the month that he alone had devised. He appointed a festival for the people of Israel, and he went up to the altar to offer incense. Listen to a little snapshot of history that I came across, and I just want to read it uh, directly. Uh, it says, King George III did not intend to lose America. In fact, quite the opposite. It was his most important colonial possession. America was important to the British government for a host of reasons. It gave them great strategic advantage in the global balance of power, especially in the ongoing conflicts with England's ancient enemies, France and Spain. It was significant economically. The colonies were not only a major source of raw materials for English industries, but there was an important market as well for the finished products. Personally, George had no desire to be remembered as the king who lost a major part of England's empire that was so vital to her prosperity. But that's exactly what he did. The English king and his advisors pursued policies that seemed determined to drive the colonies into rebellion. They treated the Americans with arrogance and bullying. They acted as though they did not need to listen to the concerns of the people. They placed heavier and heavier burdens upon them until once loyal subjects were driven to take up arms against the very king they had once willingly followed. Sounds kind of familiar to what we just read, doesn't it? Folks, foolish leaders can cause terrible damage, can cause terrible damage to a nation, a company, a church, a family, a community. Bad leaders can cause terrible damage. And sometimes the damage that is caused can never be undone. Tonight we're going to see two very foolish leaders, and that's why I've entitled the study Dumb and Dumber. Uh, here are two men who had unbelievable potential, but both of them followed foolish courses of action. I want you to see tonight, first of all, a reasonable request. A reasonable request. Look again at what's going on in the first four verses. Uh, it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. 
Now, no doubt, because Solomon had many wives and many concubines, he must have had tons and tons of sons. But there's no indication that there was ever any doubt who would follow him as king. Rehoboam would be the son of Solomon to follow Solomon as king after Solomon's death. Now, we learn from chapter 14 and verse 21 that uh, Rehoboam was the son of an Ammonite woman named uh, Naamah, and that he was 41 years of age when he came to the throne. Now, since Solomon reigned for 40 years, what's this mean? This means that Rehoboam was actually born before the death of David. So that kind of sets the historical context for him. Now, folks, it's significant that the coronation of Rehoboam is not held in the capital city of Jerusalem. But where's the coronation held? Shechem, okay? It was a city that was noted for its connection to both Abraham and, and uh, Jacob. And it's the place where Joshua had led the nation in a renewal of their covenant vows to God. So it was a very important place. But even more significant to our text tonight, it was, it was to the north of Jerusalem. Uh, they were somewhat jealous over their southern brothers. You know, because the capital was there at Jerusalem, and what else was there? The temple. Yeah, so they were they were a little bit jealous of the people in the in the south, and so this might have been a little bit of a political move. Rehoboam and his advisors were making just to kind of placate and pacify the people in the north. But we see that the coronation took a turn. Who shows up? Jeroboam. Now, you'll remember Jeroboam. We read about him last week from chapter 11. Let's go back to that now. Chapter 11, verse 26, says, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradot, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, rebelled against the king. The following was the reason he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the gap in the wall of the city of his father David. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. About that time, when Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shalonite, found him on the road, and Ahijah had clothed himself with a new garment. The two of them were alone in the open country. When Ahijah laid hold of the new garment he was wearing, he tore it into twelve pieces. He then said to Jeroboam, Take one for yourself, uh, rather, uh, take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, See, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. One tribe will remain his for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. 
This is because he has forsaken me, worship, Astarte, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and has not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. And so right there we see the prophecy about Jeroboam. Jeroboam shows up at Shechem, and he's joined by all Israel, that is the northern tribes, and they present a very reasonable request to Rehoboam. They simply want to know, is Rehoboam going to give them some relief? Now, I want you to remember what we've said the past couple of weeks. Solomon's reign ended up being pretty oppressive on the people. Uh, plus, Solomon's policies kind of favored his own tribe of Judah. But there was, there was resentment over the heavy yoke that Solomon had placed on the people. Solomon's projects were so extravagant and so costly that he had to raise taxes on the people to the point it became a big burden to them. And, and then on top of that, he held them under harsh labor. It wasn't slave labor, but in, in a sense it was because this labor was required. Uh, again, this is exactly what God had told them uh, back when Samuel was leading the people, what would happen if they demanded a king, that the king would end up taxing them heavily to support all of his things, and he would conscript some of their young people to harsh labor. So that's exactly what Solomon's doing in fulfillment of what the Lord had said to the people under Samuel. And so now they're simply coming with Jeroboam and they're saying, hey man, just lighten up on us a bit. You know, your dad was pretty heavy on us. There's a lot of taxes. And we're not demanding. They're basically saying, we're not demanding all of the taxes and the burdens you placed on us to be removed altogether. We're just saying lighten up a little bit. Just lighten up. Well, the promise was what? If Rehoboam would do that, they would be his loyal subjects. He just needed to show the people that he was on their side as their leader. You know, there's a leadership principle here, isn't there? You know, as Jesus pointed out, leaders aren't to lord it over the people they serve. They need to identify with the people they lead and prove to them that they have the interest of the people at heart. And that's the kind of king that King David had been. But now Solomon, you know, had been kind of interested in his own agenda. And so they just simply want to know what to expect from Rehoboam. Can they count on him to think of them a little bit more? And if he'll do that, they'll be devoted to him in a loyal way. He, he can count on them. They'll be his loyal, devoted servants. And so they're not coming with an iron fist. They're really coming and extending an olive branch to Rehoboam. Again, it's a perfectly reasonable request. Second thing I want you to see, though, is an unwise response. You know, first of all, 
He says, go away for three days, then come again to me. That The delay there is probably the smartest thing Rehoboam did in this whole thing. Uh, you know, it, it would seem that he wouldn't have needed time to think about this, but let's give him credit. I guess at least he's going to consider the request. You know, Solomon had written, one of Solomon's proverbs had been, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a hard, a harsh answer stirs up dissension. If only Rehoboam would have paid attention to one of his dad's proverbs, he'd have been better off. Uh, you know, it's a bit ironic that Solomon started out his rule making a wise decision. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, begins his reign making a dumb decision. Notice what he does. He turns to some of the veteran advisors who had helped out his dad. These were men of experience. They were wise. They had a proven track record. And they recognized what a powder keg this, this situation could possibly be. And they tell him to just simply listen to the people. Give them some relief. And if he'll just give them some relief, they'll, he'll win their hearts. But verse 8 says that Rehoboam forsook the counsel of these men and he consulted with some of his younger buddies that he'd grown up with. I think there's another principle there. The word elders in the Bible on the one hand implies wisdom. And on the other hand, it implies that wisdom tends to come with age and experience also. Now, not always, you know. Somebody has said there can be old fools just as much as there can be young fools. You know, it's not automatic that somebody older is going to be wiser. But at least that's, that's the intention of it. You gain more experience, maybe some experience from messing up. But you gain more experience the longer you live, and you've got some pretty good advice to pass down to younger folks. Uh, you know, young people don't always recognize this, do they? You know, teenagers think, Mom and Dad's dumb. Those with little kids, you wait. If, if they're not teenagers yet, you, you just wait. They'll think, Mom and Dad's dumb. And then time they reach about 25 years of age, they'll say, you know what, time I, between the time I was a teenager and 25 now, Mom and Dad, y'all sure have gained a lot of wisdom. What you're saying makes sense now. You don't believe me? Just wait. You'll see. Uh, you know, this is why, too, in church, we need the young and the old. We need the vibrancy, the energy of the young. We need the balance. I mean, the, the wisdom of the older and experience. There's a balance here. But Rehoboam just dismisses the older counselors and he goes along with his buddies he grew up with. And, and they tell him to say that, you know, you've not experienced any kind of oppression yet. I mean, you just think you had it bad with my dad Saul. And uh, not meaning to be crude here, but remember, these, these are crude adolescents that Rehoboam is listening to. And as one Hebrew scholar out of one of our Baptist schools in Texas says, when he says, you tell them that, you know, your little finger, where is it, verse, verse 11, 
My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. He says when this Hebrew scholar, when little finger is juxtaposed against loins, it's not finger that these young men are talking about. I'll just kind of let you guess from there. He's, you know, and this Hebrew scholar saying, that, you know, these guys are crude. And that's, that's their response that they give Rehoboam. You tell all these people, you know, give, give them this answer. And then you tell them you're going to whip them with scorpions. Now, on one hand, that might be a metaphor. But on the other hand, they had certain kinds of whips that they had woven bits of bone and glass and things like that into it. And, and that was a harsher kind of uh, whip that would, would bite when it would hit the flesh. So, you know, he, he could just be using scorpions as, you know, my whips are going to sting you, or he could be talking about he's going to use these harsher whips on them. Uh, either way, Rehoboam is saying, my dad, he was a wimp. He was a pussycat con compared to what I'm going to be. But I want you to notice verse 15. Uh, it says, so the king did not listen to the people because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shalonite to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. What's happening here? A fulfillment of the prophecy back in chapter 11 that we just read. And you know what? This brings up an interesting discussion in the Bible, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God didn't coerce the action. Rehoboam acted freely. But his actions accomplished the sovereign purpose of God. God's so great that he let people make decisions, but accomplished his purposes through those decisions. And one of the best examples of this in the New Testament is what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. The crucifixion, the cross, was God's plan to save sinners from the foundation of the world. But God held Judas and the people responsible for it at the same time. It, it's like Acts 2.23 says. I'll just read it. 2.23 says, This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. So God did this, the crucifixion of Jesus, but he did it, accomplished it through the hands of of godless people. God accomplished what he did in 1 Kings just as he said he would, but he did it through the stupidity of Rehoboam. Okay, now I want you to see thirdly, a destined rebellion. A destined rebellion. Look at verse 16. When all Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, the people answered the king, What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son 
of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, O David. So Israel went away to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. You know, folks, it's a lot easier to tear down than build up better. One bad decision tore apart what had taken more than a century to put together. I want you to remember that. And sometimes it's impossible to put things back together. What, what should this demand of us as we're making big decisions in life? Prayer. We really need to seek the mind and heart of the Lord and wait before the Lord and pray about things, right? Be careful in these weighty decisions. You might turn around and do something you can't take back or you can't undo it. Think of this. The nation of Israel had been a single nation under one king, one king at a time, for more than 120 years. Whether it was Saul, then David, then Solomon, 120 years under a single king. But here in verse 16, we see the northern tribes barring a slogan that a man named Sheba had used earlier to instigate a rebellion by the northern tribes against King David. You know, to your tents, O Israel. And so what we have right here, I want you to understand in chapter 12, just like I said in, opening, in the opening, we have a monumental change here in Old Testament history forever. You know, your Bibles... Bible commentaries are going to talk now about a divided kingdom. Whereas previously, they talk about a united kingdom. So here we have the divided kingdom. So Old Testament history is now altered for good. Instead of one king from here on out, you're going to have two kings. One over the ten northern tribes and one over the southern kingdom of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom is sometimes called Israel. Sometimes in your Old Testament, the northern kingdom will be referred to as Ephraim. But Israel or Ephraim is referring to the ten northern tribes now. And the southern kingdom, made up of Judah and Benjamin, simply going to be referred to as Judah. Benjamin was a small tribe on the border. It was pretty much swallowed up into Judah. And that's probably why in various places in 1 Kings, like we already commented on last week, that uh, you'll hear the southern king, kingdom just being referred to as one tribe. Whereas technically it's two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. Sometimes a distinction's made, sometimes it's just spoken of as Judah, the larger, more influential one of the two. Now, before going on in chapter 12, I, I want to give you a snapshot of what's going to happen to each division. Just a snapshot. The northern kingdom, again made up of how many tribes? Ten tribes. Is going to get wrapped up in what? idolatry. And eventually 
under an Assyrian ruler, not, not a Syrian ruler, an Assyrian ruler. There's an Assyrian ruler by the name of Tiglath-Pileser III. Is going to come in and raid the northern kingdom, and he's pretty well going to wipe them out. The northern kingdom's going to be gone. And then he's going to move some foreigners in, too, to intermarry with some of the Jews in the northern kingdom that remain, and they're going to kind of become half-breeds. And we see in New Testament times that the Israelites viewed them very harshly. But for the most part, there's going to come a time that we'll get to later in 2 Kings that the ten northern tribes are going to pretty much fall off the pages of Scripture. Okay? Now, we're going to see just a snapshot what's going to happen in the south. Judah. They too are going to sin. And what's God going to do with them? Exile in Babylon for 70 years. And then he's going to bring them back. Only a small remnant came back. Only 50,000 came back. The others had moved all the, the diaspora or the dispersion you read about. You know, they've moved all over the place. So only under like Ezra and Nehemiah and so forth, only, only 50,000 come back. And... Uh, they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. Then they're going to fall under the oppressive rule of foreign powers until we come to the New Testament times and we see them under the oppressive rule of the Romans. But God preserves them because why? The Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah and he's going to be a son of David. Now, moving on in chapter 12, we see Rehoboam doing another foolish thing in verse 18. When he sees what's happened here, he sends the very one who has been responsible for the forced labor to try to get the northern tribes back. And when the people of the northern tribes see him, what do they do? They stone him to death. I mean, talk about a dumb move. It'd be kind of like today. I mean, let's just kind of make a comparison today. What if, what if Israel was going to try to negotiate something with Arab nations? And the Arab nations send somebody from Iran to be the representative in charge of the negotiations. He'd be the last man Israelis would want to sit down and talk to because the Iranians have said they want Israel wiped off the map. Man. So, you know, Rehoboam sending this guy's foolish thing and then he does his next thing. He's going to attack. He's going to start a war, but God raised up a prophet. They listened to the prophet. And uh, they don't go to war. They return to their homes. But the die has been cast. We have a divided kingdom. And this was all from the Lord. Now the fourth thing I want you to see. An idolatrous reign. Beginning in verse 25. 
Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. He went out from there and built Penuel. Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may well revert to the house of David. If this people continues to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will turn again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Jeroboam of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, from chapter 11, you may remember Jeroboam, what was communicated about him there? He was a very capable leader. So we would expect more from him than this. You see, if you thought Rehoboam was dumb, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is the dumber of the duet. Absolutely. Uh, turn back to chapter 11 again. Chapter 11. Look at verse 37. God, God speaking to Jeroboam. I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires. You shall be king over Israel. If you will listen to all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. For this reason I will punish the descendants of David but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam promptly fled to Egypt, to King Shishak of Egypt, and remained in Egypt until the death of Solomon. God had basically given Jeroboam a, a blank check if, Jer, if Jeroboam would only obey God and lead the people to obey God. God made wonderful promises at the end of chapter 11 to Jeroboam. So, you know, what a great reign he could have had. Uh, he could have been a blessing to the people that he ruled. But whereas Rehoboam had promised to be a heavier financial burden to the people than his dad Solomon, Jeroboam was guilty guilty of a greater sin. He's going to lead the nation to an extent they've never known before into idolatry. Well, Jeroboam quickly establishes Shechem and Penuel as key cities of power in the northern kingdom. Now, I've already mentioned the significance of Shechem, but I want you to remember Penuel was where Jacob had wrestled with God back in the book of Genesis. And so these were two great cities in the history of Israel, Shechem and Penuel. But now a fear strikes the heart of Jeroboam. 
Remember that people are required, according to the law of Moses, to journey back to Jerusalem three times a year for the festivals and sacrifices. And so the fear in Jeroboam's heart is what? If they do that, eventually, as they go back down to Jerusalem and go to the temple, they're going to forget about the division. You know, they're going to forget about why they split off. And their heart's going to go back to Jerusalem and the temple and, and Rehoboam. And they're going to want to rejoin with the southern kingdom. And they'll kill me. And so he does an incredibly stupid thing. You remember how Aaron set up the golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments? And what a dumb thing that was that Aaron did. Well, Jeroboam sets up two golden calves. And says, here are your gods, O Israel, that brought you out of Egypt. How in the world can a man be so stupid? I mean, he, he had to have known what happened in the incident with uh, Aaron. But he does it anyway. And then if you, if you were to look back at your maps in the back of your Bible, you would see as you look at Israel, about the size of the state of New Jersey, now when you, when you look at the map, in question for this period of time, uh, you're, you're going to see how the northern kingdom is shaded in one color, the southern kingdom in another. And what he does, Bethel, is a southern city in the northern kingdom. Bethel is only about 11 miles north of Jerusalem. So again, it would be a southern post in the northern kingdom. And that's where he puts one golden calf. And then you look at your map and go as far north in Israel as, as they went, and you'll see another city up there called Dan. That's a northern boundary. And he sets up another, another golden calf there. So southern tip of the northern kingdom the northern tip of the northern kingdom just so it'll be real easy for the people of the northern kingdom to go to one of those two places he tries to make worship idol worship as convenient as possible for the masses so we have a false altar a false object of worship that verse 30 points out became a sin and a snare to the people. He changes the place of worship from Jerusalem to Bethel and Dan. And then if that's not enough, what else does he do? He appoints a false priesthood. The priests were to come from what tribe? Levi. So Jeroboam appoints priests from among all the people except the tribe of Levi. So he's as inclusive as possible with the priesthood and excludes the very ones who would have been legitimate. And then he even goes a step beyond that. He changes the calendar of worship. They were supposed to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of booths in the seventh month 
Jeroboam institutes a festival on the same day of the eighth month. Just kind of picks his own time. How in the world could a leader of Israel back then who knew anything about their history do such a thing? And how could the people have gone along with this? But they did. And apparently from verse 33, Jeroboam even burns incense himself, something the priests did. I mean, you read these verses, you just got to shake your head. Here is homespun religion, idolatry. This is religion my way. Right? Self-designed religion my way. We read about the sin of Jeroboam 22 times in 1st and 2nd Kings. It might have been politically expedient, but it was an abomination in the eyes of God. Now take a modern day parallel. Let me, let me read an incident to you. The leader of the interfaith council of a major American city explained the ground rules of their events. Participants must avoid any specific reference to deity. Rather than praying in the name of Jesus or whatever God you represented since it was an interfaith group, they were told to use names like sustainer, creator, God, or Lord. The leader went on to say, there is a sense we are all worshiping the same God. No, we don't all worship the same God. That happened in America. Don't make any kind of reference to the God of the Old Testament or Jesus. Keep it generic. And you know what? Talk, who was that we come in and talked about cultural battles going on? Cultural battles are just getting worse and worse and worse. Folks, we have to see that we have to worship God as He has revealed Himself to us. He's not just whoever we want Him to be. And we'll worship Him just however we want to worship Him. We have to worship God as God has revealed Himself. He sets the rules. I don't and you don't. And if we do anything else, it's nothing more than idolatry. Like Jeroboam was doing here. You know, modern pluralism seems polite, but it's an insult and an abomination to the true and the living God. It's also intellectual stupidity too, right? How can religions that are very different even have contradictory truth claims? How can they all be correct? With contradictory truth claims. But this is where people are today. And you know, this, this kind of idolatry and pluralism and accommodation and tolerance we see going on in our day to day, it only leads to confu spiritual confusion in the hearts and minds of people. 
All paths don't lead to God. All paths don't lead to God. As Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Exclusive? Yeah. But I didn't write that. You didn't write that. Jesus said it. Now, some quick lessons here. Uh, leaders are called to be servants and must lead with the heart to glorify God and shepherd his people. Secondly, be very careful of the counsel you receive. And thirdly, it matters who we worship and how we worship. We must come to God on his terms. There's other lessons we could come up with, but I wanted to leave you with just those three. Any comments or questions? We're running a little late tonight, getting into our prayer time, but any comments or questions? I have one. Okay. It's sad to me that these people who had a new king did not come to him about the images in the temple, the high places over on Mount Olive. Sure. They never questioned no. how God was so mistreated and all this. They're worried about the price of gas and all of that stuff <laughs> instead of what have we done with our God? Yep. Yep. Like America? Sure. We all moan about gas and groceries and doctor bills. And, but if we had the chance to sit down with President Biden face to face, And that's why, look, look back at the title to the overall series. Yeah. What's the very first thing? What, what am I calling this? Impact of leadership, Impact of leadership and spiritual, spiritual life, life and national affairs. National affairs. Bible teacher one time tell us, he said, the way you keep these guys straight, one of them's the real boy, and the other's the jerk boy. <laughs> you do wonder how people can be so dumb. Dumb and dumber. Sure. Chapter 11, you think of what could have been with Jeroboam. I mean, he could have been another king like David in the footprints of David. Personal life will always come out. Sure. So many don't look at it. No. And they're 
how true and how sad. I think what you see also is what power does to people. Yes. And how it distorts, how they will distort anything in their quest for power. Mm -hmm. And not, and they'll, uh, I was thinking of something that's gone, but just how, what they will do in order to retain power. Hold on to their power. And manipulate the people that are under them so that they can continue to have the power over them. Hence, the old saying, power corrupts and absolute power Absolutely corrupts. <laughs> but it surely brings to light too that uh at the will of Samaria. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what comes to my thoughts. Uh, well, you know, you said we worship there. We worship here, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it sheds a lot of light on that interaction. Oh sure. You know, it makes a lot more sense. Sure. The differences. Yeah. And again, the change in history that's taking place right here in chapter 12. The thing I find interesting about it is they use the opposite kingdom of the other nation to talk about when someone began to reign and when their reign ended. And usually, usually it seemed like the ones in the southern kingdom had longer reigns than the ones in the northern kingdom. Yeah. So you may have them comparing one's reign here to, they went to five kings during that time or something. Sure. You know. Well, as we'll see, there were no good and godly kings in the northern kingdom. From this point to the time they're destroyed under the Assyrians, there will be no good kings in the northern kingdom. Think about that. None. No good kings. I mean, the southern kingdom had bad kings too, but they had some good kings. No good kings in the northern kingdom. I think about when we try to, I've tried to compare the northern kingdom to politics as far as the parties. And I, I found, and this is just me, I thought that the, the northern kingdom were Democrats and the, and the southern kingdom were Republicans. <laughs> Be careful. They're both going to get you to the same spot. I just want them to get you there like that. It's Rick on tape saying that. <laughs> 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 